The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. As a matter of fact, this is the place for innovating innovation. The buzz today Can you teach innovation? Big question. Let's get started. Innovation is more critical to your business success now than ever before. I don't care what kind of business you're in. I don't care what part of the world you're in. Innovation matters, especially sustainable innovation. That's why today's smart enterprise leaders are serious about doing something very innovative. They want to shift it from an art to a teachable business discipline that has predictable outcomes. Oh, if only we could make everything predictable, yes. But here's a reality check. Can a structured innovation approach or approaches really create a sustainable organizational learning culture that is primed for continuous success versus what we usually think of? Informal, you put them in a room, you have a think tank, you have brainstorming, and they get it done. I have a quote here from Diana Ross and the Supremes I threw in at the last minute before we went live on the show. You can't hurry love. No, you just have to wait. And I would pose the question, would Diana Ross, the Supreme One, say the same about innovation? Can you hurry it up? Can you force it? Can you structure it? Or do you just have to wait? I have a panel of experts who are going to help us figure this all out. This is what they do. First up is a repeat guest. Always glad to have him on the panel. It's Jeremy Cox, a principal analyst at Ovum. And here's the quote Jeremy sent me. Listen up. It's long, but there's a lot of, a lot of gems of wisdom here. Jeremy says, when most of us think about innovation, We often think about people with a spark of genius who are able to see things that mere mortals like us fail to see, such as the hundreds of thousands, that's the key, hundreds of thousands of startups driven by a passionate founder with this spark of genius to guide them and to attract investment. Jeremy Cox, you're waxing eloquent today. How are you, Jeremy? I'm very well. Thank you, Bonnie, for asking me on yet again. Yet again, here you are yet again, encore une fois. So talk to me, Jeremy. Interesting quote. Do you want to focus on the spark of genius, on the startups, or or how innovation equals genius, and can you spark it? Go ahead, Jeremy. Well, uh, what interests me about innovation um, is, is, is really from the perspective of large established organizations. And over the last sort of two or three years, I've been uh, sort of investigating to try and find out you know, are there things that can be done to reignite the, the innovation engine in, 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 in especially long-established organizations that perhaps are just getting a little bit dusty? And I guess I conclude that, yes, there are things that can be done. 
Okay. What do you do? Do you put everybody in a room, lock up the room, say, this is Innovation 101. You've got two hours to come up with a brilliant idea. You have to save the company now? Or is it a little more involved than that? Just a quick overview. What do you think, Jeremy? Uh, A little bit more involved than that. Um, But I think part of the key is, first of all, putting innovation right up there on the the top agenda of the organization. Yes. Uh, Having leaders that actually sponsor innovation and take it seriously. Um, and then also creating the conditions, if you like, where serendipity has more chance of, of, of happening. So, uh, and there are sort of structured approaches. That there is a, a discipline around innovation, which might sound counterintuitive. But uh, from what I've seen, I, I'm a firm believer that, uh, yes, it's possible for even sort of tired, old, dusty companies to, to uh, you know, reignite that innovation flame. Thank you, Jeremy. I just looked up the word serendipity. It's the occurrence and development of events by chance in a happy or beneficial way. I like the happy way. More about that later. Thank you, Jeremy. Let's welcome our second panelist. He's a newcomer to SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Klaus von Riegen, Vice President and Head of Business Model Innovation at SAP SE. And he is quoting Clayton Christensen, who has been quoted on our shows before. Here's the quote. Very good one. The reason why it's so difficult for existing firms to capture capitalize on disruptive innovations is that their processes and their business model that make them good at the existing business actually make them bad at competing for the disruption. Klaus von Riegen, welcome. How are you today? Thanks, Bonnie. Very fine. Good. So talk to me about the choice of this quote by Clayton Christensen for our topic today, Innovating Innovation. And the rest of the topic, by the way, is art or discipline, serendipity or a systematic. Go ahead, Klaus. I've particularly chosen this quote because I believe um, there needs to be some uh, discipline, some science in innovation. And along what uh, Jeremy just mentioned, when he says there's dust uh, in, in larger mm-hmm. companies, you may also call it the corporate immune system, which, <laughs> as Christensen <laughs> pointed out, is really focusing on, on optimizing the current business model and is not uh, looking at, at new opportunities or not necessarily so I'm trying to explore what can be changed uh, in, 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 for example, my employer's company to uh, drive new business models uh, against the corporate immune systems that otherwise might uh, react a little illogically. Very interesting. I read that in your notes class about the corporate immune systems, and I wasn't sure it was correct, but I knew you, I knew you would talk to it today. Interesting, uh, juxtaposing Jeremy's reference multiple times <clears throat> to dusty, tired companies and yours to the corporate immune system. It sounds like they might be what a very popular word in, in self-help books and psychology today is, are you stuck? It sounds like they may be stuck, especially in this realm of innovation, which is our topic today. Thank you so much, Klaus. A lot more to hear from you coming up and let's welcome our third panelist today it's marco chigaina chigaina i got it right marco chigaina i've been practicing your name marco he's a program manager in sap services innovation there's somebody else with innovation in their title and marco is quoting plato's cratylus from the 6th 5th century bc a character named I'm not even going to try. Let me just read the quote. Everything changes and nothing remains still. And you cannot step twice into the same stream. Very poetic. Marco Chigaina, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today, Marco? 
Hi, Bonnie. I'm doing great, and thanks uh, for having me today. Thank you. Talk to me about your quote. (laughs) Sure. So when I look at the at the overarching theme of the series, innovating innovation, I thought, well, um, well, change is, is the key word, and uh, it can be the change of, a, of an innovator that aspires to create uh, maybe a new solution that has an impact on the market. But I think it's also and even more interesting to think about change that surrounds uh, leaders who want to drive and promote innovation, you know, in their company. And I, I think. You're right. The quote deserves some some explanation of the background. So, I have both um, humanities and engineering in my background, and I like sometimes to to mix these two types of culture and mindset. And sometimes uh, it's it's interesting to look back to those uh, ancient thinkers and and see uh, what they can still um, tell us. And um, when I thought about Heraclitus' uh, quote. Um, um, that deals basically with the idea that uh, everything is in a flux. And uh, in, in the context of innovation, you could paraphrase Heraclitus saying uh, you cannot step twice into the, the same innovation stream. And uh, then the question becomes, uh, well, everything is in a flux, um, products, processes, business model, everything, uh, how can structural approaches uh, help innovation, which is, I think, the, the theme of this discussion, and I think is more probably a uh, just performance of the violin concept, if it would be music. Uh, but that's, uh, in any case, I think structure really can, can help. And I'm curious to see the, the opinion of the other <laughs> participants. Thank you, Marco. Also, good way of thinking at it. Very interesting. You cannot step twice into the same stream. Reminds me of one of my favorite French phrases, plus ça change, plus ça la même shows. The more things... <laughs> more things change, the more they stay the same, which goes contrary to what we're trying to say is that you can't just stay in the same place. You can't be dusty, tired, and old and worry about your corporate immune system. This is a very provocative topic, and I'm so pleased to have Jeremy Cox at Ovum, Klaus von Regen at SAP, and Marco Chagaina at SAP on the panel today. But panelists, I have a very important question for the three of you. Jeremy's a veteran of SAP Radio. He knows what it is. What's in your cup today? What are you drinking or what do you, you plan to drink? right after the show let's lighten this up a little bit before we dive into a very serious topic jeremy what's in the cup and where are you today jeremy i'm in snowy home firth in yorkshire in england and i have a cup of warming darjeeling tea to try and uh, counteract the uh, the cold Ooh, how much snow do you have um by our standards a huge amount so about an inch <laughs> Oh, you got me on that one. I just lived through the supposed uh, blizzard snowstorm of the decade here in New York, and we were supposed to get between 18 and 30 inches, and we got a measly 10 inches, Jeremy. So it was like, really? We really shut down all the highways and byways and schools and businesses for this? 10 inches? Ah, nothing. And everything's back to normal. So enjoy your Darjeeling tea. Klaus von Regen, where are you calling from, Klaus? And what are you drinking today? I'm calling from Germany, from, from uh, SAP headquarters in Waldorf. Um, it's, it's a little rainy here, and it, I think weather cannot decide whether it wants to rain or snow, so it's somewhere in between. Anyway, it's, it's warm here inside, and my drink today, I would actually love to drink a good espresso in, in a small bar in, in Tuscany, instead of mm. staying here, because I really mm. like the landscape and the air and the food, the mood of the people, that really adds to the great taste of the coffee. 
And so to, to make this fit to business models, I mean, I, I do recognize the success of coffee-based business models like uh, Starbucks or, or Nespresso, mm-hmm. but, but these are really not for me. I, I do like the, the good old-fashioned Espresso manually made. Nice, nice, nice. Oh, thank you for sharing. And you do step twice into the same stream over and over again. We know what we love and we know when we want it. We know when it's comforting or exciting to drink it. So, Klaus, I agree with you. And Marco Chigaina. Let's see. What are you drinking today, Marco? Uh, Bonnie, I'm sitting in in my office in Milan, Italy. So, and uh, interesting to to hear Klaus talking about Italy and coffee uh, because uh, as an Italian, I think no surprise, I I love... um, Italian coffee. Uh, I, I'm quite proud of the Italian coffee culture. Actually, the terms espresso, cappuccino, you know, all come from Italian. And I, mm-hmm. I know that uh, Sarbac uh, visited Italy <coughs> to design their coffee business. But uh, I, I can share a, a couple of variants of coffee. Maybe you don't know in the U.S. Uh, one is yeah, Mocaccino. Ta- is made of es- yes. is made of espresso cream, a shot of, uh, of hot chocolate. It's served in, a, in transparent glass, so you can see the layers of, of coffee and cream. And uh, there is another variant called um, Marocchino, which is espresso, milk throat, uh, cocoa powder. And it's also served in a transparent glass. So you should taste them, Bonnie. Sounds very good. I know mochaccino. I think Starbucks actually bottles it for home home use uh, mochaccino. I've had that, and it's delicious. Thank you very much. Love the stories. And guess what, panelists? I'm going to give you a chance to take a sip of whatever is in front of you right now. So Jeremy, Klaus, and Marco, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will start our 30-minute nonstop roundtable, starting off with Jeremy Cox. And the topic today officially is Innovating Innovation art or discipline, serendipity, or systematic. And remind me someone to tell you a story about what the play, the special coffee specialty company in Manhattan called Serendipity, what their most famous drink is. You'll get a kick out of this after the break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think of touching that mouse. That app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Innovating Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Game Changers. 
Okay, welcome back. Here we are, and we're ready for our roundtable. We're going to kick it off with Jeremy Cox, Principal Analyst at Ovum, and I think he's going to win the award for uh, most frequent guest on SAP Game Changers radio shows so far. <laughs> Jeremy, it's going to be tough to beat your, your return visits, and we really appreciate it. So here's some provocative statements from Jeremy in the notes he sent me before the show, and I think there's a good place to start. Jeremy asks the question, does structure help with innovation? He answers a resounding yes. He also says, innovation, not just for high tech. There's accelerating change in this customer era. Lots to chew on here. Jeremy, why don't you get us started on the roundtable, please? Okay. Um, so, yes, I, I believe from from what I've observed um, uh, in, in, in recent years that it, it can be structured, that it can there is a discipline around innovation that can be embraced. Um, and uh, I identified uh, a number of attributes that organizations that seem to be mastering this uh, challenge uh, seem to uh, exhibit. And, and, I, and I, as I sort of indicated earlier on, it really does start with the leadership of the organization um, making innovation, um, you know, really putting it top of the, the, the agenda. Um, so that an organization is focused on continuous in- innovation, creating new value for customers. And I think part of, part of the leadership role there is, is to create that environment where experimentation uh, can take place, where people have time and, and space to, to collaborate and focus on perhaps some of the key challenges the organ- organization has. Um, what, what I've seen working well in, in some organizations is, is also putting in place an innovation management team to, to really sort of focus on, on, on what can be done differently, uh, what new value can be created, and acting, if you like, as the kind of the innovation hub or catalyst across an organization to, to, uh, to help the organization uh, deliver a lot of new ideas, but also to to pare those down to the ones that are most likely to have an impact um, on on the customers, a positive in, in impact on the customers. So, so it starts with the leadership. There is an organisational aspect around this, putting in place the the innovation management team, but there's also a discipline around the, the, the whole process from from gathering ideas all the way through to to um, <coughs> Sort of prototyping the most the most viable ideas to test them before huge amounts of money are are, are invested, and then scaling it up to to get it to market as as quickly as possible. So so leadership, innovation management team, and a structured approach, I think, are the the really could sort of go to the heart of the ability to innovate on a continuous basis. Thank you, Jeremy. All good points. I see that uh, from your notes, these were top three findings from research into common structures. These were the key attributes for innovation success. A a lot to think about. I I have some comments, but I'm going to wait until everybody weighs in on this one. So, Klaus von Regan, thoughts about what Jeremy put on the table, please? Sure. I think think innovation is both an art and and a science, Uh, but Mm -hmm. we do need to come to more a science approach. And so... Um, in, in this regard, we, we need to uh, provide this environment that Jeremy actually mentioned. It's, most organizations do not, do not lack uh, ideas because people are really um, innovative and, and they have lots of ideas. Mostly, if 
the innovation doesn't happen. It's a lack of the environment and, and, and it's a lack of the, of the right approach. So coming back to what I call the corporate immune system, if, if this new idea uh, is, is really different to what the organization is used to manage, then this allergic reaction happens, right? And then the new idea is being redesigned until it fits into the organization, but then it's not a real innovation anymore. If, if it's not that radically different, okay, so then the organization might learn, and like in a human body, this immune system can learn to, to be changed and can then digest this innovation and can, can make it happen. But that's mostly only uh, possible for, for rather incremental cases. What's, what's really most interesting to, to uh, observe is what needs to happen if there's a really radical innovation, including business model innovations, uh, where actually the body needs to be protected from this innovation because otherwise the body would uh, almost observe an allergic shock uh, or, and, and as well, the innovation, this radical innovation always needs to be protected. It needs to be um, isolated from the, from the uh, rest of the organization so that it can be developed and it can be tested and only until it's ready uh, and until it has proven that it's market-ready uh, then this allergic reaction might not be uh, as large anymore. So I think we need to observe what we really want to drive, and then by the type of, of innovation we look at, we need to find different approaches. Great points. Uh, I'm, I want to ask you a question before we move on to Marco on this. Uh, Klaus, are you talking about an incubator? Are you talking about an internal uh, idea incubator, innovation incubator? Uh, you talked about isolating the ideas, making sure the best of the prototypes get some money behind them and get an opportunity to go to market. So is this something where you actually say to people, okay, you've graduated from Innovation 101. We're putting you in the official incubator room, and we're going to help you bring that to fruition. Is that something that's part of the formal process, or am I over-dramatizing it? No, that might be the very right approach for this type of more radical innovation, right? To, to run an internal incubation to give a team budget and time and, and resources to, to try it out and to uh, do a few steps until they have pro- proven it. You, but you might also need to, to uh, spin it off from, from, from the company and maybe you need external resources, maybe you need external ah, capital. But those are very interesting. variances you then need, also need to, to manage. Thank you, Marco Chigaina. What do you think? What are we talking about as far as uh, how does it resonate with you? Any thoughts? Agree, disagree? Uh, well, it resonates very well. Actually, speaking about leadership, what uh, Jeremy talked before, I think uh, we should consider there are different types of leadership required for innovation. So according to, to what I, I found out, uh, there are, you, you find visionary and authoritative uh, leaders uh, they set the scene and uh, the vision, but you also need, uh, uh, in other phases of the innovation process, knowledgeable people like scientists, uh, engineers that uh, help the development process, and also uh, those you know supportive, collaborative leaders that make things uh, happen. So my point is, yes, we need leadership. We also need to, uh, speaking about structure, we need to make sure we have uh, different types of leaders depending on, on, on the stage uh, in the innovation process. And, and talking about the, the second point from, from Jeremy, the team and organization, I think it's very important to, to, to consider we have to, uh, to look both at the internal side, so uh, 
culture of, of the of the organization, the right profiles and, and motivational measures, but also the external side and how we connect uh, with customers, with partners, with universities, etc. So all the way along the innovation network. And um, his third point was uh, the process. And um, my, 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 my view is that normally we only look at uh, the idea to launch process, so uh, from the ideas to developing the ideas to launch it in the market, but uh, there are many um, supporting processes, uh, you know, knowledge management, uh, management of the intellectual property, etc., and they are also very critical. So my point is on the process we, we should really have an end-to-end -end, uh, view. Thank you, Marco. I, I have a question for the whole panel, something I wanted to ask Jeremy, but I wanted to wait and see where this went. And, and then, Klaus, we'll go to some of your very interesting uh, discussion points. My question is, we talk about leadership. We talk about sponsorship. seems like you have to have that infrastructure, that part of the infrastructure for innovating innovation in a formal structured way. Question is, who are these leaders? Do you say when you hire going forward, okay, we're going to give you a personality profile to see what your innovation IQ is and to see whether you have it in your blood and in your, in your thinking processes. You say that to middle managers, upper managers. When you bring them on board, you tell them innovation will be part of what you're going to be involved with, and we need to know you're on board, you have the capability, you can think outside the box, and this is part of why we're hiring you. Jeremy, let's start with you. Any thoughts on this? Yes, no? Um. I'd probably say yes and no. Um, ah. Where I've seen it work really well is, is where innovation's been almost democratized and opened up across an organization. So that if you think of you know, the millions or hundreds of thousands in very large organizations of people who have daily contact with customers, um, you know, that, those contacts generate a lot of insights. And if they're able to sort of collaborate together on, on, on ideas and, and almost sort of uh, swarm around the most promising ideas, then, it, then even, even um, you know, relatively uh, normal, for want of a better term, people um, can can play uh, an important role in in innovation. But I, but I, and uh, but what I, what I would also say is, is yes, in the sense that uh, I mean, going back to what Klaus was saying about the the immune system, where. You know, if, if, if most of the, the middle managers are focused on execution, they don't have the time of day for innovation, and nor is it their, their prime focus. They're more about executing and, 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 and getting things done. So, so to some extent, you need um, to, to, to bring in people uh, or, or, or to, to isolate people who can really think, think about new ways of doing things and, uh, you know, focus on that almost exclusively until perhaps the idea is, 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 is proven in some kind of experimental prototype. And then the, the rest of the organization can get, get behind it in terms of really sort of turning the flame up on, 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 on execution around that, that particular innovation. So, so I think it's a bit of both. Thank you very much. Klaus von Regan, agree or disagree with, with me, with Jeremy? What do you think? I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I need to disagree with you, Bonnie, because I, I, do. I don't think that we. <laughs> I, I don't think that we we are searching for the one leader who is responsible for innovation. Um, that is actually a skill that 
everybody in, in any given corporation needs to pursue in some regard. And it's actually not just the leadership team. Um, it's, it's everybody in, in research and development. And actually, it's, it also covers other, other functions, right? The way, we, the way we go to market, the way we um, work with partners, the, the way we actually manufacture products and, or, or deliver services. So in, in all areas, we can, we can innovate. We can, we can become better and find new ways to, to de- deliver value. Um, so what, what I would really look for is, is more entrepreneurial skills, people mm. who are willing to take risks and who then uh, really are accountable to drive new types of innovation. That's what we need in, in, in at least many larger corporations that have not been able to, to, uh, to act like a startup anymore. Thank you. I think that's what I was looking for, and you said it's so much better, the entrepreneurial spirit, willing to take risks and be responsible for driving them toward a, a conclusion, a good one. Thank you very much, Klaus. Marco, thoughts? Agree, disagree with anybody? Me, Jeremy, Klaus? Well, I think the main point is, uh, I think Klaus said right, that uh, you, you find innovation leaders uh, at, in, in, at all the, the levels of the organization, not just at the top. And this is very important because you definitely need also the champions uh, uh, in the different functions. I think it, it's also very important, however, that, that we have uh, in, in our mind uh, the profile we are looking for so that we can recognize uh, those people, we can uh, cultivate those talents, and also uh, more than the theoretical uh, teaching and training, I think it's very important to expose them to, to experiences, to projects, so that they can develop those talents. That that's, uh, somehow ties back to uh, HR uh, management. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, yeah, HR has a hard time sometimes to, uh, to cultivate innovation talents. Thank you very much. Guess what? We're going to move over to some of the talking statements, the discussion points from Klaus von Regen. Klaus, you sent me something very interesting before the show, going to the heart of the matter. I think is talking about our dusty, tired, old companies and maybe, in fact, some of the new ones where Jeremy Cox may observe sparks of genius that bring in lots of money and lots of exciting thoughts and people. So here's the, here's the concept. You say every business plan is wrong since it contains a series of assumptions. Rather than refining the plan over and over and over, it's more important to go to market early with an MVP, not most valuable player, minimal minimal viable product, and learn. And you say, this is what Eric Reese's lean startup method is all about. Are you a proponent of this? Tell us about this, Klaus. Who is Eric Reese, and is this something you subscribe to? Yes, actually, this... This whole approach has been used in, also in our own design thinking methodology. <clears throat> we, need to, we need to be more clear on, on, on how we, we want to drive our business because the, the, the more we plan, the more we create PowerPoints and, and, and long uh, descriptions of what we plan to do, uh, the, the, the worse it gets right? because you, you create more and more details about your, your planned business. And the more detail you, you try to plan it, the, the, the worse it gets because mm-hmm. it has more and more assumptions and, and you, you're just clear that many of these assumptions will not be proven in the marketplace. So what we actually need is, is more flexibility, uh, a, a more mm-hmm. um, f- flexible approach when, when uh, starting uh, these innovations, when, when starting new businesses. Uh, because only through 
testing these assumptions in the marketplace with, with first customers that provide relevant feedback that give you um, their, their voice and, and their opinion, then you can start verifying these assumptions and some of them will be wrong. So then you change mm -hmm. your approach, you quickly produce a new version of your product or service and then you do the same again. And through a number of short iterations, you eventually more quickly realize the value in the marketplace or you make an early decision to stop the whole engagement and to focus on other innovations. Klaus reminds me of the old phrase, maybe it's not so old, fail fast and fail often. I think that's what we're talking about here. I also want to bring up one more point from your notes here. You say for an established company, they are working very often with the same established customer group and listening to them, hopefully, but they don't invest a lot in identifying new customer groups. And this goes to Clayton Christensen's Innovator's Dilemma. Uh, so just, just add a line or two here, thoughts on a, a company that says, yeah, we have our focus groups. Yeah, we have our loyal customers. Yeah, we have the ones who are telling us what they think. How do they go about finding new groups to talk to them? Klaus? Yeah, think about, for example, the, the lighting industry, right? I mean, companies like, like Philips or Osram, in this case from, from, from Europe, obviously in this industry, and they've been focusing to, to produce the traditional lamps. And eventually you, you saw quite some product innovation happening, right? Now we have LED lamps, which are much more reliable and long-lasting and, and not necessarily cheaper. But from a, um, from a customer point of view, they are preferable over time. Um, and, and that's what they are now focusing on. Um, eventually, however, LED lamps will also become a commodity, and there will be quite some competition from other regions in the world. And if these companies would only focus on products, then, then they might be commoditized overall, right? They, 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 they might be disrupted by, by other companies. So what, what might essentially be needed here is to move to, to the next level, to, to invent a new business model, to not focus on products only, but to, to focus on, on, on services. So how about these companies offering now lighting services uh, mm -hmm. based obviously on their products, but now they, um, they define a service uh, portfolio around these products and, and not sell the lamp anymore, but they sell light for a certain time and it's being guaranteed uh, for, for, for a certain level. But this also means that you need to work with different customers, right? I mean, the lamps you have mm -hmm. been sold to the house owner uh, or the building owner. Now, if you want to provide lighting services, you may, may need to work with the architect or with the uh, city administration or, or somebody else. So you first need to realize that by providing the different business model, you also need to work with other types of customers and, and ensure that they understand and appreciate the value proposition you have envisioned. Thank you, Klaus. I'm thinking uh, just about two weeks ago, I don't know if you have the same show in the in uh, overseas, we have a show called Shark Tank. And about two weeks ago, uh, a young Asian man named Max Gunawan, G-U-N-A-W-A-N, came to Shark Tank with a brand new lighting product that nobody had ever seen. It looks like uh, a fan, you know, a handheld paper fan that's folded in a certain way. And you open it up and it shines the most beautiful soft light up on your face and in the room. And he's, he made a whole display of these gorgeous, it was such an exciting new lighting project just playing off of what you keying off of what you just said that every one of the sharks competed to buy into his 
business, invest in him because he was literally thinking outside, not just outside the box, but outside the traditional lamp or uh, lighting the way we're used to having it. So it just sparked my, my recall of that. Very interesting. Marco, get in on this conversation. What do you think about what we're talking about in terms of business plans and assumptions and, and what Klaus has been sharing? Go ahead, Marco. Well, I think this is a very important point, and I think uh, my, my main um, consideration on this is that we should differentiate uh, when it comes to planning um, the project management uh, style we use for um, business execution. So we're basically we, we try to optimize, you know, scope and time and cost. Uh, but basically, uh, the, the 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 charter of the project is sure. Uh, the, the certainty is there. And uh, we should differentiate this from uh, a situation where uncertainty is key. And then, as, as Klaus said, is basically uh, conducting projects as they are, as they were disciplined experiments. Uh, so where uh, you you test your your assumption, you you document your assumption, and you replan every time based on your learning. So it's basically a discovery-oriented uh, uh, planning. And uh, if you mix up the two styles, it is really is really bad. And um, on, on the second point, Cloud made, I think that was also very interesting to me. Uh, coming to, to customers and new customers, I think um, there's also a trap there when when uh, companies uh, pursue uh, the, the customer requirements over and over. Uh, and uh, obviously, if you want to create a new market, uh, you you also need to to look at, at new types of customers. And uh, normally it's about uh, looking at the customers that are very extreme in the way they use your, your product, but also customers in totally different industries that have some, some analogies. So, for example, if you want to design uh, a new train coach, you, you look at, uh, at uh, an airplane business class. So those analogies are also a very powerful uh, mechanism. Thank you. Jeremy, you look go ahead. Your customer base. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Jeremy Cox, I know you have a lot to say. On, we've been talking about a lot of different areas of innovation and structure. Talk to me. Well, I think um, Klaus's point about, about um, uh, the, the, the planning cycles uh, is, 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 is a very important one as well. Um, you know, so, so a lot of organizations traditionally will have their annual plans, and they're usually based on last year plus 10%, minus 5% or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're often informed by the past as opposed to really sort of focused on, 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 on the future. So I think there are a couple of things. Um, moving to more ad- adaptive planning methods where, where, where the, the, the cycle time between sensing what's going on in the customer, customer domain and using those insights to drive innovation, whether that be in new business models, new products and services, or even uh, an entirely new customer experience. Those cycle times need to be collapsed um, as, 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 as far as possible. Um, and, and that calls for a far more sort of dynamic environment. And if I can use a sort of sporting analogy, mm-hmm. it's a little bit like going into a, um, a football match or, or over here, we've got the Six Nations rugby just about to kick off. Well, the, the coach will have a plan of how they're going to counteract uh, the opposition. But the reality is that reality unfolds in a far more dynamic manner. So, so people have to be able to make decisions and, 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 and see things 
as they are, you know, to be able to understand the unfolding picture and then, and then adapt uh, at the right kind of speed. And I think that's, uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges for organizations is how can they adapt at the right pace so that they remain relevant to their customers, whether it's, you know, existing customers or even casting the net further to, to, to new customers as well. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm going to move on to some of the talking points in Marco Chigaina's notes because we are getting close to our break. And I think, as Jeremy knows, we often skip the break before we go to the crystal ball predictions round. It looks like we're going to do that. Marco, very interesting here. The title of this series is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers presented by SAP. And I'm looking at one of your your comments here that goes right to the heart of that. You say the environment in which a company operates continuously changes. Yes. Therefore, innovation management is a capability that needs to be constantly reviewed, constantly adapted, and constantly enriched based on new learning and maturing skills. So this really is what we're all about here, innovating innovation. So what is, is there a cycle? Is there a plan here, Marco? When you talk to people, you say, yes, innovation management, you've just got to keep your eye on that ball. You've got to think about it, enrich it, grow it, change it, morph it. How often is this an everyday process? Is this, you put everybody in a room, you write think tank over the door, and you say, okay, let's see how many crazy ideas we can come up with today. No, that didn't work. We'll give you apple juice tomorrow instead of orange juice, and maybe that'll make you be creative. How much do we, how frequently and how much do we have to review and adapt and renew the innovation management process? Marco? Well, thanks, Bonnie. Well, these are, yeah, as you said, very fundamental points uh, for, for our discussion, and, uh, well, um, based on my research, uh, first of all, I, 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 I realized that um, uh, innovation has many drivers. Uh, it's new customers, uh, new products, uh, complexity of the business environment. So as we, as we um, saw already in our discussion so far, a lot of dynamics is, is happening. And, um, and actually, I, I had a chance to speak with a um, um, few, few leaders in the past about this topic and uh, my findings are basically that, uh, first of all, innovation is very broad. So, and that uh, there are, it can be product processes, business models, etc. And uh, also, there are multiple, multiple components uh, to be coordinated. That, that's why uh, I think we are um, thinking about uh, moving uh, innovation from an outward business discipline. Now, the, to, to your point, basically, first of all, I think it's a matter of. of um, uh, uh, creating a common language within the organization and the shared view of what uh, are those components. In, in, my, in my view, it's, it's about uh, having a common view on, on the business architecture of the company, so uh, our current business model, our current portfolio, uh, because that transparency enables uh, to, to, uh, to have a foundation for, for moving forward. Of course, each of these layers will have their own pace, which is your, your, your other question about uh, uh, what is the frequency. Of course, you don't change business model every day, but uh, you, you can adjust processes maybe uh, more frequently, and uh, you, you normally have a certain cycle for, for renew, to, to renew your, your product portfolio. Another dimension is the process, uh, which means um, as, as we are testing ideas for new products, uh, somehow we should also uh, test uh, um, new types of methodologies to, to be more creative, to design product, to develop product. So that's also mm-hmm. something where we do experiment. Of course, 
normally we try uh, that uh, at least for for six months, one year, uh, sufficient time to realize if those are effective or not. And also, even more in the long term, I think it's about establishing uh, innovation networks within the company. And also mm. something that you build uh, uh, every, every, every day, but uh, it's definitely from the long term. So the matter is um, you, you need to coordinate these this, this three dimensions, so the business architecture, the process, and, and the innovation network. And um, at least in our experience, you do that uh, with a sort of uh, um, um, plan that goes every, every year. Uh, that is also in sync with the budget plan. And you basically try to determine uh, where you are and where you want to go and activities to, to be launched. And very important, at the end of the year, you, uh, you, you uh, collect insights, you collect lessons learned so that you are ready to start a new cycle. And this is, to me, crucial uh, for an innovation management to establish a structured approach uh, so that um, the organization becomes a learning organization uh, also, um, when it comes to innovation practices, does it make sense? Yeah, thank you, Marco. I'm I'm looking at your notes, and here's a very quotable moment here. You say uncertainty is inherently part of innovation initiatives. And I, I have to mention, I'll do a quick plug for your book here. You're the author of a book called Innovation Management Framework, Enabling and Fostering Innovation in Your Company, available on Amazon. There you go. Thank you, Marco. Jeremy, you want to weigh in for just a minute on what Marco just shared, and then we'll go to Klaus, and then we have to go directly to our prediction round, our crystal ball. So, Jeremy, thoughts on this management? I'm, I, I, I would echo what, what, what Marco said, and I'd also quite like to see if his book is available on Kindle, <laughs> so I can uh, keep abreast of uh, his thinking as well. But, but, I, but I think it's, it is a highly collaborative affair, innovation, and, and uh, Marco mentioned in, innovation networks, internal ones within the organization, um, but also, I think, uh, external ones as well. So um, today, with... Uh, the the advent of enterprise social networking on these kind of um, platforms, if you like, make it perhaps a little bit easier to connect um, uh, people that uh, might want to gather around particular ideas. So so it makes it easier to to create those sort of innovation networks. However, um, just sort of throwing it out on a on a blank canvas of uh, an enterprise social networking platform, I don't think it's the the ideal way. I think on top of that, there needs to be some kind of disciplined uh, uh, process, but also highly transparent process so that uh, people can connect with each other, connect with particular ideas that they want to uh, to um, swarm around, if you like, um, but that the whole thing is managed in a, in a, in a, in a coherent manner, um, you know, tied back to where that organization is trying to get to over the, the, the coming years. Thank you very much. Klaus von Regan, thoughts on this before we go directly to our predictions round? We're getting tight on time. Any thoughts on uh, what Jeremy and Marco have just shared? Yes, I think that Marco's point on design testing is, is, is really important. Uh, we need to uh, do this in a, in, a, in a fashion that allows uh, many cycles, and, and we also need to invite our customers, or at least who, who be, believe our customers are. And, and this re- reminds me on, on a rather interesting story I heard late last year from, from Luis Arnal, who is a uh, design researcher in, in, in Mexico, 
he told me about uh, this uh, washing machine manufacturer who tried now to sell his washing machines also in Mexico. And they thought, well, obviously, they, they, they assumed that uh, people in Mexico would rather buy the, the low end of their uh, assortment, the, the, the cheaper models. Uh, but actually what they figured out over time is that uh, more and more uh, high-end washing machines were bought. And so they eventually they, mm. they did a number of interviews and they figured out that they actually tried to reach the wrong customer group. Most people in, 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 in Mexico, I mean, some people do buy a washing machine. Many people actually do not buy it, buy, buy a machine. They use, use a washing service. And the owner of the washing service, they usually buy the expensive model because it's much more reliable. It's much more long-lasting, and they, they, then they have a better cost-benefit relationship. So knowing who your customer is and involving them early in your design process, I think that's what's, what, what it really comes down to. It's a great point. Thank you very much, Klaus. That's, that's a lesson to be learned. Uh, it goes back to what our discussion was of sticking with the, the same old customer groups and customer focus groups. You've got to move out there and see what's really happening in the marketplace and be new customer-centric, perhaps, or prospect-centric. Guess what? Time for the predictions. We are really tight on time. I'm going give to you, give you each about 90 seconds. Jeremy Cox, you've done this so many times. So, Jeremy Cox, let's fast forward to, I'd say, the year 2020. If you don't like it, tell me how how far in advance you can see, and what will we be talking about in terms of innovation, management, art or discipline, art or science, serendipity, or systematic, and I'm still going to squeeze in my serendipity story. 90 seconds, Jeremy Cox, predictions, go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I think a lot of organizations are making baby steps with innovation, um, but I'm certainly getting a lot more inquiries from from sort of financial services organizations, retailers, and, and um, organizations that are under tremendous sort of competitive pressure to, to, to try and figure out how to, to develop these uh, uh, innovation capabilities. And I think that, that we're going to see more and more organizations figuring, figuring it out and perhaps moving from baby set, steps up to uh, a more mature um, approach um, a more extensive approach to innovation and, and tapping into their collective uh, intellectual resources in a, in a more dynamic way. And I think we're going to see by 2020 some surprising new innovations coming out in the marketplace. Don't ask me what they are. <laughs> I'm the clue, but uh, I'm sure we'll, <laughs> we'll, 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 innovation is going to, going to be accelerating in the, in the coming years. And, and perhaps 2020 is, isn't a bad place to, to think about oh. uh, you know, as a, as a horizon. But come 2050, I think the world's going to be dramatically different. Of course, I shan't be here any longer, but nevertheless, I'm sure it will be, uh, um, you know, there'll be a huge acceleration in innovation in the coming oh. years. Oh, Jeremy, we don't know that. You don't know what they're going to innovate between now and then for you and me both, kid. Klaus von Regan, I can give you one <laughs> one minute, one minute for predictions. Klaus, do you like 2020? And if not, tell me when. Go. Sure. I, I do believe that innovation and more particularly business model innovation will be more a science than an art uh, compared to today. Mm-hmm. Because I just believe there, there is a real need for more design tools so that we have this this innovation being described in a, in a really standardized manner that we can also compare it with, with other ideas. Uh, we will see m- many more patterns that we can apply, maybe even cross-industry, 
to speed up the design of new business models and to, to also help transferring the knowledge among all the stakeholders. Uh, but there's one thing where I don't think we will end up with a science-only approach, which is when we apply all these tools and, and approaches in a given company context, because any given company is still different. And so you need to understand the context. You need to understand where the company has its focus, its culture, and you also need to know how rigid its processes are. So if you want to apply something radically new, then you also need to understand whether it's actually possible. You need to find the right uh, basement, the, the, the right processes, and that's maybe where also Marco's books is, is, is going after. Thank you very much. And Marco, I put your book in the Amazon link on Twitter at hashtag SAP Radio, and the book cover popped up. Jeremy Cox, you can go check it out there. And talking about Marco Chigaina, <laughs> Marco, you're up. I can give you exactly one minute for predictions. Talk to me. Go. Thank you, Bonnie. So I have never been in the future yet. Uh, when I think of the future, I think the, the impact of uh, of information technology and, and digitization uh, on, on how we manage innovation is also fascinating. So uh, if you think, for example, about uh, the evolution of augmented reality, uh, it's clear that we will have um, very sophisticated collaborative environments um, between individuals, within companies, across companies. Uh, to ideate, design together, and this will be possible anywhere, anytime. And I think this has profound implication on open innovation too. Uh, there is also a convergence probably on, on knowledge-based system, big data, as new ways to accelerate uh, exploration of, of ideas and markets. And I think uh, currently we see uh, a system for business execution and system for business innovation. I think we will see more and more synergies between these two. However, obviously, people will be, will be at the center of any approach. And I think that the principle we discussed today are, will, will still be uh, foundational also in the future. Thank you, Marco. Great predictions. And, hey, guys, I owe you a quick story. Serendipity is an Upper East Side Manhattan chocolate and coffee shop. They are famous for frozen hot chocolate. If you're ever in town and you're up on uh, near East 60th Street in the 200 block range, you have to go check it. Check in. It's now called Serendipity 3. I don't know what happened to 1 and 2. But the frozen <laughs> hot chocolate is amazing. It's in this huge mug. It's ice cold, and it packs a lot of punch, adrenaline, and, and and caffeine and all that good stuff. So next time you're in New York, go. I don't tell them I sent you. They don't know who I am. But it's interesting. The word serendipity always reminds me of the frozen hot chocolate. Jeremy Cox, Ovum. Thank you, Klaus von Regan, SAP. Thank you, Marco Chigaina. I finally got it right, SAP. Thank you. Shout out to series sponsor, Michelle Serrier. And we had a surprise visit on our uh, Twitter, hashtag SAP Radio, from Shushi Sharma. Thank you very much, Sushi, for joining us and Brad and the Business Channel team. And let me tell you what's coming up next this is the end of our broadcast week here on sap game changers radio but next tuesday you have to tune in 7 a.m pacific eastern eastern 10 a.m we're debuting a brand new series called digital world with game changers the first topic is a wow digital road warriors managing top talent on the move you got to hear this one why do 60 percent of expats come home and resign from their company within one year very provocative guess what i'm bonnie d graham and i have a call to action here we go. Talk about innovation. Fasten your, I don't know, smart seatbelt. Maybe we've innovated a smart seatbelt waiting for one in my car. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.